You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. It is a privilege uh, to be here and to be a part of this fellowship. One of the things that I've noticed is... um, and it's been seven or eight months since we started to attend, is, uh, as Bill had said, the intentionality to have a plurality of elders, a number of people, uh, release them to minister and use their gifts. And so the, the foundation of the truth of the Word of God is central. Uh, you know, Christ alone, faith alone, by God's grace alone. Uh, and standing on the Scripture alone, right, ultimately for the glory of God alone. And so there's some, there's some depth and there's some meat if we get into a statement of faith and some of the things that we believe and stand on. But in the mixture of that and the mix of that is love as well and a very loving con- congregation. And you've loved me and my wife and we're getting to know you more and more. It takes a while. There's a handful of people here. But you've been very gracious to us and it really is a privilege. And it certainly is a privilege to share the word of God. Well, last week we began our current series on the theme of being uh, unsearchable, that God is unsearchable from Psalm 145.3. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Um, And so my assignment uh, today is Psalm 50, uh, God the righteous judge. And uh, while I'm certainly grateful uh, to Bill for the privilege to be able to share, if you'll notice, we started the, the series last week on uh, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, you know, he's going to care for us and take care of us and loving God. And then next week, uh, uh, Jose is going to share out from another psalm, and it's sort of a God is our dwelling place, you know. And right in the middle of that is, so Gene, I'd like you to take one shot. God is the righteous judge. Now go get him. <laughs> and so I said, thanks a lot, brother. I did, maybe there'll be another chance in the future and I can preach, I don't know, let's go to John 3.16 or something. I don't know. But um, I, I say that, of course, in jest because as I dove into the text more and more, we see the awesomeness of God. We see the power of God. We see the righteousness of God. But there's also an amazing tenderness and love, and we're going to end with the gospel and the person and the work of Christ. So God, as he always does, has that perfect balance. Um, And that's what we're doing. We're going through Unsearchable, looking at the different character traits of God. I think it's seven or eight weeks we're doing that. In our small group, after the service, you're all welcome to be a part of that. If you have a small group, stay in your small group. Don't come and be a part of what we're doing here. But we've got a number of people. That's been growing a little bit. And the series that we're going through there is the attributes of God. And today's going to be immutability right after the service. So if you're not a part of a small group, we'd love to have you be a part of that um, each and every week following uh, the service. Um, so it... Uh, Wanted to share Psalm 50, so let's read that. Let's go to it, right? Let's go right to the text, Psalm 50, and 23 verses. I'm going to try to be faithful to work my way right down through that. We're going to cover most every verse and trust that the Lord will help us to stay right in it. Psalm 50, a psalm of Asaph, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes. He does not keep silence. 
Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel. I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry... (laughs) I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes? Or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline, and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God, may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word, a psalm there, which is absolutely uh, incredible, written by Asaph, uh, a choir director. He was a Levite who led one of the temple choirs. David gave him ministry of praise before the ark, and so as the ark went up into the temple, it was Asaph called in charge and put in charge to help to lead in worship. Think, I don't know, modern-day example, maybe Miguel or uh, one of the people that helped to lead uh, worship here, a a choir director, one who led in praise, certainly uh, targeted and and, uh, tapped upon the shoulder because of his giftedness. But, but he's leading there, and we're talking about the mighty one, God the Lord, and this awesome psalm, and, and the awesomeness of God, and his holiness, and then the wickedness of the people, and then we're going to close with the, the, those who are righteous, but the, the power of this psalm is absolutely incredible, and we have to look at God that way. I mean, we need to look at God in a fully orbed view, right? A full circle of God is, God is merciful, God is kind, God is loving, God is gracious, God is all of these things, but God is also, as Scripture describes them, as holy, holy, holy. God is righteous and just and perfect and pure, and so we need to look at a full, and he's all of that, all at the same time. You say, today I'm sensing God's love and his mercy, and it's so incredible. And then the next day you think, oh, man, God's justice and his holiness, but he's all of those things at the same time. And it's important to recognize that. 
I was about 21, 22 years ago, I was in uh, West Michigan, and uh, there was a gal, young gal who had come to our church, and she said, hey, could you pray for me? And she had been there for two or three weeks in a row, and, and finally she came up, she said, my dad's dying, and uh, he doesn't know the Lord is his savior, and I, and I just wanted you guys to pray for him, and pray for me and the family and stuff, because I'm just praying that he'll find God as his savior, and, and Lord, make a decision, repent, and turn, and, and I said, we will, we will, and finally her dad, a few weeks later he, he died and I so out of uh, you know kindness and love toward her I said well I'll go to the funeral so I went to the funeral and I sat in back it's probably a group uh, about this size maybe not quite the size but it's a pretty large group for a funeral and the pastor stood up and he said I just want you to know that I don't remember his name but I just want you to know that old John here laying in the casket. I just want you to know that he's in a much better place now. And I want you to know that you all, picture 80, 100 people or more. It was a fairly well-attended funeral. I just want you all to know that you're all going to see him one day. And I left the funeral and I, and I went back home and I thought, you know, I don't, how, you know, how do you how do you say that as a faithful preacher of the word? Like, how do you do that? And it bothered me week after week. And if you know West Michigan, it's a city of churches. So I'm in, you know, over there where we were, Hudsonville. It's like I'd pass churches on the way to, to preach. I'd pass 10 or 12 churches, no exaggeration, on one straight road on my way. So I kept passing his church. I thought, you know, I gotta pull in there. So one day I pulled in there and I said, you know, I just want to ask you, I what I thought I heard you say was that everyone's gonna be in heaven and that old John was in heaven but I got to be honest with you pastor his daughter said that he never professed Christ as his savior in fact he never darkened the door of a church why why did you say that and he said oh he said friend I I want you to know that God is love and that it's going to be okay and I really see in the scripture that God is just going to forgive and, and that, that, that's the type of God that we serve. And I said, yeah, but, but what about, you know, the scriptures? He said, well, what about John three sixteen? For God so loved the world. And I said, okay, well, let's think about that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so I tried to unpack. I don't know how much I got through. I left it to the Lord and was at peace since then, since I un unburdened my heart to go and was faithful. But, but that's, that's the point, is we need to have that balanced view of who God is and what he's done and, and understand that without Christ, now I'm not making a final judgment on John. I don't know about old John. And I certainly don't know about all of the people there, but, but percentages show. There's a great chance there were five or 10 or 20 or 50 or 60 of those people that they don't profess Christ and they're not going to heaven. And when they die, they're going to they're gonna be in judgment from a holy God because they've rejected Christ and who he is. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, said, were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. You've got it up there behind me. Were we able to extract from any man, any woman, any person a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man, of that person. And so we, at some level, that's really true. Like, what do you think about God? When you think about God, what's the first three things that pop into your mind? 
You know, he's loving, you know, he's merciful. I'm so thankful that he's merciful. Boy, his grace is poured out on me, which it is. All the above, right answer, right answer, right answer. But when's the last time that we dwelt, you know, like got on our knees and just thought, man, God is holy. In fact, scripture says it's the only attribute that's described three times in a row. It never says God's love, 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 or merciful, merciful, merciful. But in several places, it says God is holy, holy, holy. When's the last time that we thought about him like that? Very helpful to understand his holiness permeates all of the other attributes. His righteousness does that. And so that's the type of God that we have. And so we want to love him in that way and submit to him that way. And so there's a, there's a description of God here, a psalm of Asaph, and Asaph is helping us. The Holy Spirit is helping us. This mighty one, God the Lord, a description of him. It's the only time except for Joshua 22, 22 in Scripture where this description of God is used. A mighty one, uh, the supreme ruler, you could say. God, El Elohim, the God of gods, the mighty one, God the Lord. Only twice in Scripture, this is one of them here. And then Jehovah, the Lord, the covenant God of Israel. So this is who is speaking to us, the mighty one, God, the Lord. He speaks and he summons the earth. He communicates. One of the things we see right away, he communicates to us. He speaks and summons the earth, using nature and creation as a personification to speak to us. As far as the east is from the rest, this west, this is from the rising of the sun to its setting. As far as the east is from the west, a full view of the whole earth. You know, God is through the earth speaking to us. He uses nature and creation in that way. We think about Romans 1 and verse 20 where it talks about that. And it speaks of God in nature and creation. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. God is speaking to us. He speaks and he summons. When you get a summons, you're supposed to come and testify. And God is speaking. He said, here's a summons. I'm testifying of my greatness, of my power, and my glory. I'm creator God. I've made the heavens and the earth. Uh, one year, we said already, we've been down here. And I'll tell you what, and, and a lot of people have transferred. You know, you've moved down and all of that. All you people that are, you know, you're down here permanently. You've been down here a long time. You've seen a lot of these cloud formations and what happens in the summertime. I tell you, y'all got some clouds down here, right? And we got storms in Michigan, but my wife and I were driving around. We look up and say, look at that. Like, what is that? That's got to be a towering cumulonimbus. That's what that is. These huge things, you know? And, and, and people look at that, right? They look at that and they go, huh. You know, I wonder if there's a God. I don't think there's a God. I mean, I don't, it's like, uh, are you, like, do you see what I see? And God is intentional like that in a general way. He uses nature and creation. You know, he, he's declaring, verse 4, he calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. And so he is saying, look at nature and creation. I am speaking to you. 
And he's speaking from out of Zion in verse two. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. The place where his name was called upon, Zion, Jerusalem, where the temple was. Not necessarily the physical or material, but a a spiritual fact that God chose to represent himself there and to speak to the nation that way. It represents his presence and worship and the blessing of God. He's telling them, I'm speaking through nature and creation and, and out from Zion. And God speaks in a general sense, general revelation, but also he speaks in um, a specifically uh, a special revelation as well. And aren't you glad today that we have the word of God? Amen? Is that we have not only clouds and mountains and gators and dolphins and whales and, and the flora and the fauna and, you know, hibiscus, and we've got all of these things, but God says not only that, I'm going to give you specifically my word, and I'm going to preserve it for you, and so you can have it. So God's communicating that way, and we are grateful for it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and instruction in righteousness. So he is very intentional that way. He communicates. And secondly, he comes to judge as well. Verse 3, our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him, a mighty tempest. And you know, he comes to judge, and and God is judging even now. Uh, Let me just say, I could take 30 minutes and do that, and I won't. I'll take about two or three and just explain that God is judge even now. But scripture, there's a lot of verses that talk about judgment being thorough, and it's going to be held upon, say, the nations, the judgment of the nations in Matthew 25, 22. Judgment of all men in Hebrews 9, 27. It's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Huh. Hebrews 9, 27. Both the small and great, Revelation 20, 12. The righteous and the wicked, Ecclesiastes 3, 17. The living and the dead, 2 Timothy 4, 1. 1 Peter 4, 5. So... It's very thorough. It's going to be held upon all people, all individuals. But specifically, and, and, and briefly, I just want to mention for the believers, we're going to go and be a part of the judgment seat of Christ. And that's going to be a blessing where God judges our works, whether they were done by faith and then we'll receive blessing. There's, the, there's this place called the Bema Seat where, where God's going to judge and, and there will be awards, rewards passed out. It'd be such a blessed time. You have to look forward to that. God's not missing that. Listen to me. If you're laboring in the strength of the Holy Spirit according to the word of God, God, God sees that. And he cares about that and he takes note. And he said, by my grace and the work that I did in you and through you, I'm keeping track and there's going to be a time of blessing and rewards. It's, it's that, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, whether by faith, by God's grace, to please him for his glory, Or was it evil? And so we have that to look forward to. You can do further study on your own. It it would repay effort. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. This idea of a blessing for the believer. But one other point, and then we'll move on. For the unbeliever, though, the great white throne judgment, it's Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12. And then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, From his presence, earth and sky fled away, 
and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. You say, I'm not that bad of a person. I think I'm better than my neighbor or the guys at work or whatever. I'm climbing my way. I'm doing the very best I can. I am doing my way to heaven. I am working my way. If you're going to depend on that, then you're going to be judged according to your works. And the standard is perfection because no sin gets into heaven. And that's why we're going to end in just a minute with the person and the work of Christ because your good works and my good works aren't good enough. And the great white throne judgment is for those who depended on works, not the work of Christ, but their own good works. It would be a terrible time. Listen, <laughs> it's a terrible time. I've been given this assignment, Psalm 50. We gotta, let's just call black, black, and white, white. I mean, not everything in the scripture is just gray. The main things are the plain things. And the plain things are the main things. God is a righteous judge. And there are those that look to him and humble themselves and trust in Christ. And then there are those who don't. And those are the wicked, which we'll describe in just a second. Just want you to know, he's coming to judge. And I think he's judging even now in, in, in many ways that we don't even really realize you know, yeah, we had a. Y'all know. I, th I think you probably know. September twenty eighth, twenty twenty two. We had a hurricane. It did a lot of a lot of damage. People say, "Was, was God's judgment in that?" Well, I don't know all the details of it, but there was some judgment in that. God is saying, you, you, some of those people, that was the last chance they had. God is speaking through nature and creation, like hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes. And it was C.S. Lewis who said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. God is not silent. He comes. He's even judging now. But at the same time, you say, wow, this is so hard and heavy. Yeah, but it's merciful too because you're here. <laughs> you hear, you see. Was your life taken? No, you're here. Another chance, a redeeming opportunity, a day and an age and a time of grace. And judgment all at the same time. And so we love God that way and we know him that way. It was A.W. Tozer again who said, the vague and tenuous hope that God is too kind to punish the ungodly has become a deadly opiate for the consciences of millions. We can't do that. We can't stand up at a funeral and there's 100 or 125 people and say, you all are going to heaven. I just want you to know that God is love. Oh, Johnny, I just love you so much. I'm just, I just can't get over how much I love you. Well, then why did he send his son, Jesus Christ, to die a cruel Roman crucifixion on the cross? Why did he do that? No, there's a specific relationship that we need with a wonderful Savior, and God's provided that. He's a covenant God. He communicates, he comes, he's a covenant God. He's speaking to all Israel here in this text, uh, and uh, he, he's, he's the whole nation, uh, both true and professing saints. Uh, we're mindful of the, the first covenant. Look at verse 5. Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. He's speaking to all of them. And the first covenant we know was dedicated by blood. 
in Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8. And it's represented, representing a serious commitment, both from God, obviously, as well as man. And, and if you go back and read that, we're not going to turn there. We don't have time. But Exodus 24, Exodus 24, 3 to 8. And they said, we're going to obey. We're going to obey. We're going to follow you. And he's saying here in this text, you're not. You're not. Remember the covenant, but you're not. You're not following through. You're living in disobedience. And uh, he doesn't want us to do that. He's speaking that way. And, and also, he's clear. Look at verses 7 through 13. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I'm your God. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. And all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. You know, he's just, for the world and its fullness are mine. Look at, look at, look at, everything is just mine. See, I don't, I don't need you. So your sacrifices with an improper heart, they're not acceptable. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Is that going to improve me? Do I really need what, what you're doing? He's not saying necessarily the outward manifestation of religion is bad. It's a good thing to come to church. We're glad that you're here worshiping with us and, and coming in to see who God is. And to, but it's our heart as we come and do that. It's a good thing to worship the Lord. Tithes and offerings, like surrender your whole, your, your very body, your mind, your spirit, your will, your emotions. Whether you're an insurance agent or a real estate agent, a mom, a dad, a, a, a teacher, a doctor, lawyer, whatever job, occupation, just surrender yourself. Look at God, just take it all. Just take, look at, take, my, take my mind, my thought, take, take my money. Just take my money. You say, well, you give a certain percentage. God owns all, God gave you all that money, right? It was that we just worship him in that way with a right heart attitude, you know, and he's, he's speaking, he's clear. He speaks, verse 1. Verse 3 says he doesn't keep silence. Verse 6, it says he declares, the heavens declare. Verse 7, hear, O my people. And I, I'm so glad that God is intentional. He says, I will speak. And he's concerned, again, not with the, adi- or not with the, uh, with the action, but again with the heart. He owns everything, verses 10 and 11. He needs nothing, verses 12 and 13. It's that whole big theological term. It's not a very long word, but it's a big, deep word. It's aseity, right? The aseity. It's a, the self-sufficiency of God. God needs nothing. We don't bump him up a little bit. He's like, I'm glad they made that right decision, <laughs> you know, because God was feeling down today. <laughs> God just mm, steady and powerful and loving and holy and merciful and gracious all the time, never changing, and he needs nothing. Well, here's a description of the wicked very quickly then in verses 16 through 21. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you're pleased with them and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought that I was one like yourself, but now I rebuke you. 
and lay the charge before you. You would expect that, wouldn't you? You want a holy, righteous God, don't you? You know it's wrong when a guy commits a string of mass murders, abusing women, and, and, and he stands before the judge, and the judge says, oh, this is a court that has mercy. No, we want that which is right and true and good. We expect that. Well, God hates evil, and uh, so we're grateful for that. We would expect that from him. But they hate discipline. They hate discipline and they live in disobedience. And we see that right from the text there. They're living that way. Because you have ignored all my counsel. Proverbs 1, 25. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Proverbs 1, 29. Because they hated knowledge and do not choose the fear of the Lord. I'm so grateful that every one of you that you're here, I, I, I think it would be with the heart to, to fear God, to love him and to know him more deeply and to, and to listen to his counsel and to submit to that. So good. But they hated authority in their heart and then outwardly they cast it away. Verse 17b, the, the second part of that. For you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you. There are some people, and I've seen it even at the end, even right before death where I visited people through the years in the hospital, and some people seemingly turn and submit and call out to God. Other people go, look, thanks for coming, but you can take yourself, your Bible, and it's just fine if you leave. They would have none of God. And that's not a good place to be. And want, It's like they're throwing away God's word. Maybe they don't steal, but they, re, they re, don't reprove the thieves. Verse 18, if you see a thief, you're pleased with them. Maybe they're not stealing. The psalmist Asaph doesn't say they're stealing. But he says, you see a thief, and you don't say anything about it. Like, you never speak up. Maybe they commit adultery, but maybe not. Verse 18b, the second part of that. You keep company with adulterers. doesn't say that they're committing it, but he says you're keeping company with and they turn their back on the sin of others by keeping company and never saying anything. God, give us wisdom to lovingly share with other people, even as we're examining our own hearts. We think about this text. And evil speech. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. There's evil speech going on there, and we don't want that. But Psalm 34, 13 says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Boy, we don't, we don't want to speak lies, and we don't, want to, we don't want to approve of the lies of other people. Right? And then slander, speaking against your own brother or sister, a sibling. You give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. Don't do that. You don't speak against your brother. You love your brother. Your brother may know the Lord. He may not. But you don't speak against him. And so living in discipline. And, and, but God is patient, you know. And he, and he hasn't moved yet. These things you've done in verse 21, and I have, I have been silent. You thought that I was like yourself, but now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. And there's patience. And you say, well, God hasn't done anything yet. I'm either committing adultery or approving of adultery. Or I'm either lying or approving of lying. Or I'm either slandering or gossiping. And God hasn't done anything yet. And another day, and the sun rose and it went down. And the sun rose and went down. But our friend Horatius Bonner quoted years ago, 
hymn writer, pastor, 18th century theologian said, sin is a monster of such awful mean. M-I-E-N, it, it, it means a level or degree. I, I put this quote together and one of the guys looked and he said, um, did you just tell me, like, what does this mean? Sin is a monster of such awful mean level or degree that to be hated, it needs just but to be seen. But seen too oft, familiar with face, we first endure, then pity, and then embrace. And what we're concerned about is holiness in the church. Like, I know Pastor Bill well enough. I know the leadership of the church well enough to know that what we're concerned about is God conforming us to the image of Christ. Amen? Yes, we're saved, we're born again by the Spirit of God, but that salvation that works in our hearts continues to grow us and change us and conform us to God. So that's, that's what we want. Do you, do you love Jesus? 1 Corinthians 16 says, let those who do not love God, let them be accursed. You say, I've heard about God, I've heard about Christ, and I don't want your Christ, I don't want God. Don't do that. You do that, you wanna do that? There's going to be judgment in that. We don't want that. And God, yet God is silent. Psalm 75, verse 2 says, At the set time that I, will, I, that I appoint, I will judge with equity. Thank you, Lord. You will judge with equity. You make all these things that are wrong in our lives, and we're going, I can't. I can't change it. I can't fix it. It's broken. This is going on at work. This is going on in relationships. And, and we're looking and we're saying, God's, God's got it. God's got it. He, he will take care of it. He's the judge. But don't misinterpret God's patience for indifference like he just doesn't care. 2 Peter 3, 9 and 10. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Everything will be laid bare before the one with whom we have to do. The Lord knows. He sees he's, he's patient. We've been given another day. So we preach the gospel one-on-one -on -one in front of eight people. If you get a chance to speak to 100 people or 2,000 people, preach the word. And you can do it. You may not be like Pastor Bill to stand up every week and preach the word. You can know the gospel. And many of you, you do know the gospel. You say, Christ has changed my heart. His grace has been extended. Share that with somebody else, right? God is patient. But there's coming a time when he's coming back, and then there will be no more room for patience, but it will then be as a judge. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. How do I not slander my brother? How do I not commit adultery? How do I not live in the lust of the flesh? Be filled with the Spirit of God, Ephesians 5.18. Be ye being filled. God's grace that saves is a grace that sanctifies. He's made provision. Enjoy it. Know him. Dive deep into the word. And a thousand days in a row of getting up to do your devotions and open the word, say, Holy Spirit, do another work of illumination and take the word into my mind and my heart and let me live that out and experience. That's what God wants for us, right? 
A description of the righteous. We'll move on. All right. 14 and 15, we close then. A description of God, a description of the wicked, a description of the righteous, verses 14 and 15. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. And verses 22 and 23. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. And uh, we are thankful that God is the one who avenges. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. But he also extends this olive branch of forgiveness. And he says, come and, and, and know me and, and receive me. And although they knew God in Romans 1.21, we quoted Romans 1.20 earlier, divine nature, right? The creation of the world, God has seen. For although they knew God, Romans 1.21, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. We want to be thankful and, and we want to obey. They are thankful and they obey. True children of God, those that are righteous, we're thankful for what God has provided for us. And um, we, we consider. You say, gosh, verse 22, right at the end, it seems so strong. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. But God is saying, <laughs> God is saying, mark this. Mark this. This, this is another opportunity for Grace. This is a day of grace. I'm extending. You say, furled brow, arms folded, looking down in judgment. Well, there, there is that aspect of God, because if we reject him, it's what we deserve. He's holy and good and pure. We reject him. You don't want to do that. God's like this. But God's like this as well. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God extends out, come, come now, come to the Lord, be thankful. Be thankful for the salvation that he has provided through his son. That's the way to live, right, rightly, is through that, through faith in Christ. And so, so they trust God, they're thankful, they obey, and they trust God and they glorify him, call upon him in trouble. See that? Call out to him. Verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble. Today is the trouble. Boy, you know, between trying to get the insurance claim taken care of and trying to get in the physical needs and the financial needs and all of that, and then, Lord, my own heart, like I'm having trouble in my own heart, especially sin, call upon the Lord. And we close with that invitation there of, of a true understanding of a righteous judging God should bring us to humility and show us our need for a Savior 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also has once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but raised by the Spirit. You say, I get, I get it. I get the message. Uh, God, what he does is he is, also, he is, he is angry at sin, and he's going to judge the wicked, but then he just says, Oh, Forget about it. Just forget about it. Bad theology. What God does is said, I know that you have a need of a Savior. And you have need of righteousness. No, you have 
need of perfection and righteousness. And so what I'm gonna do is, in the master plan through the ages, I'm going to send my only son who will live righteously and die vicarious, vicariously on a cruel Roman cross. And I will pour out my wrath upon him and judge your sin and my sin in him. Theologians call it the penal substitution. Think penalty. Think, think penal code. Think judgment that we deserve. And God says, no, you get behind me. Put your faith in Christ. Humble yourself. Be intimidated at a holy God. And then receive a love and a grace and a mercy that's found in the person and the work of his son. And so many of you are sitting here, you're going, yeah, that, that's it. I, that, that's it. That, that, that's where I am. My only hope is not that God's going to dismiss offhandedly like a doting grandmother and forget about my sin, but God has judged my sin in the person and the work of his son on the cross. And you embrace him by faith. You say, I want to turn away. I will repent by God's grace right now. And there's an invitation. We're, we're moving right to close. There's, an inv- there's always an invitation. I'm going to step out on a limb and say this. I know this is true because I know Bill well enough. And I love that brother for preaching the word and being faithful. What he does, there's always an invitation. If the spirit of God's working in your heart, get up, go find somebody and go and pray. We'll close with an invitation for prayer. But today, of all messages, the time of, of prayer to make a decision. For sure, the text allows for that. Make a decision to embrace Christ and realize that he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for you and for me, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He is our righteousness. Glory. Hallelujah. And so we give him praise. There's the invitation today. So I just want to ask if you ever heard about that captain of a ship. Did you ever hear about the captain of a ship? The captain of the ship looked into the dark night and saw faint lights in the distance. And immediately he told his signal men to send a message. message. He said, alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am seaman, third class Jones. Immediately the captain sent a third message. Knowing the fear that it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came, alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. (laughs) God is a rock. God is an immovable rock formation that never changes. And he is holy And he is pointing as a lighthouse, a direction for us to go. And it is not up for grabs, an option, whether or not we want to do that. Even though we have the pride that we might think, I'm a battleship and I can command the the direction of my own life. Texts like this cause us to bow low 
and submit and say, Lord, whatever direction you want me to go, that's the direction I'm going to go. And then he steps through further, and not only through creation, but through special revelation in his son. He said, Jesus is the way. Make a decision to go the way of Christ and the gospel and receive him by faith. You have a choice. You have a choice. Today, choose faith in Christ and him alone because it's so important because hurricanes come and old age comes and car accidents come and cancer comes and death comes and we know that there's such a thing as called the clock of life and the clock of life is wound but once and no man has the power to know just when the hand will stop at late or early hour to lose one's wealth is sad indeed to lose one's wealth his health on top of that that's even more but to lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can endure to lose one's wealth is sad indeed to lose one's health is more to lose one's soul is such a loss that no man can endure don't lose your soul come to faith in Christ let's pray Father, we thank you so much today for your word, the clarity of it, whether or not I've uh, done all that's uh, warranted for uh, expositing it. I don't know, but I've done my best according to your spirit, and I know people are are praying, and we're trusting that you're going to seal it to our hearts, Lord. Change us and conform us to your image, and may you be lifted up and glorified and and, uh, save some. Add to the church daily such as should be saved. And for us who are already saints and we love you, Lord, would you, would you sanctify us through this text and the preaching of your word and uh, give us grace to live by faith in holiness more and more until the return of Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There is an opportunity this morning to pray, and we're going to ask uh, during the last song uh, for the deacons or prayer partners to come both to the front um, as well as to the back or pray with somebody that's near you or someone that you know. But there's always an invitation for prayer, for humility, to call out whatever the need might be in your own life. There's a, a place and an atmosphere for prayer. We're very intentional about that. So we invite them certainly to come forward. They'll be at the back, maybe at the front. Find someone to pray with to respond, right?